Well, for many years at NASA, a guy named Gene Krantz was the head of flight operations. And whenever there was a manned space flight about to take off from Florida, he was there at, at Mission Control in Houston. And uh, just as the, as the clock was ticking down, preparing for a launch, he would look at all his various uh, personnel that were in charge of one aspect of that mission. And he would say, give me a go, no-go for launch. And so what he is saying to them is, with the information that you have in front of you right now, are we good to go with this launch? Because we're about to send human beings, we're about to send human life hurling into outer space. And is everything checking out the way it's supposed to be? And so this uh, is depicted very well in the movie that came out, uh, it's a long time ago now, Apollo 13. But uh, the venerable actor Ed Harris plays Krantz, and, and he says, okay, he says, everybody give me a go, no go for launch. And so he starts calling out the different, the different people, the different, uh, you know, uh, hydraulics, and we're go flight, and flight surgeon, we're go flight, and they, they all back, it's a checklist that he's going through. And every one of them says, we're go. And so then he declares, you know, we are go for launch. And that's the title of today's message, is that we are go for launch. Because we started in uh, the month of May, we started looking at the book of Acts. We started looking at the early church and what they experienced, what they were going through. And we, we saw in week one on May the 3rd that when Peter is in the upper room and he is addressing the believers, those who were gathered in that house, we're told that it was in Acts 1 that it was about 120 people. And then last week we looked at Peter preaching in Jerusalem at the festival of Pentecost. And we're told then that the Lord added, to, well, uh, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And so, and so there we are. We're go for launch. What started out as a movement is now a full-blown church. And so we look today at uh, Acts uh, chapter 2. I want to begin with verse 42. And I apologize, I normally try to give you a heads up on where we are in Scripture so you can be turning there ahead of time in your Bible or find it in your app. But uh, Acts and the book of John is where we're going to be today. So in Acts 2 verse 42, they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being 
saved. So, we have what we looked at last week that, that 3,000 were baptized, roughly. And so now we see that, that, that they are off and running. Uh, the, the church has launched and they are coming together not once a week. Early on, they were coming together daily. They were so taken by this life-changing event. They were so taken by what was going on. And we have to remember that a lot of these folks were outsiders from Jerusalem. They were there for the Jewish festival of Pentecost. And whenever I, I teach or preach this passage, I always feel like I, I need to remind us, you know, to give us some perspective of what's going on here. If we're going to take a trip, what do you do? Well, you pack appropriately for the trip that you're going to take. You know, I pack differently maybe for vacation than I would for a trip to a conference somewhere. I'm going to wear different kind of clothes at the beach than I wear if I'm, if I'm on a college campus listening to uh, a series of lectures or something like that. I'm going to dress uh, even different or pack even different if I'm going to Honduras on a mission trip. I'm going to take clothes that I'm, that I'm preparing to leave behind me after I'm finished with them uh, I take a pair of shoes, I learned this the first time I went, that I take a pair of shoes that it's okay if I never wear them again after that trip is over because I might have, you know, concrete or something like that on them uh, during the course of the trip, the, you know, the, the time spent there. And so these people have done just that. They had planned to go to Jerusalem, those that lived outside the holy city. They've come from lots of different nations. And they have come for this Jewish festival. And so they have packed the, you know, the, appropriately for the number of days they're going to be there. They brought the, the amount of money they needed uh, to spend uh, the X number of days there in Jerusalem. And so what happens now is they don't want to leave. They had planned to be there for just a select number of days and they don't want to leave. And so what happens, imagine if a group of people comes together and you've packed for four, five, six days and you brought enough money for four, five, six days. But now all of a sudden, you're not going home because you want to be there. You want to be there uh, you know, praising God. You want to be going into people's homes. So obviously the people there, were hot, the, the, the local folks, were being hospitable because Luke, who wrote Acts, tells us specifically that they broke bread in homes. They came to the temple courts for, for time of worship and praise. And uh, if you think that this doesn't get the attention of the Jewish leaders, well, it does. When we get over to Acts chapter 5, we will see that later on. But, uh, but the, then they're, they're dividing up and going into homes and breaking bread. And I've been encouraging the last two weeks. Uh, some might say I've harped on it, but uh, regardless of how you see it, I've encouraged our church family that in the remaining weeks that we have to, to be opening homes and to be gathering together and... Uh, to be doing what they were doing. Let's experience, if it's just for one, two, three weeks, let's experience what the early church experienced. That I encouraged people last week, and I remind you, uh, if you got some guests in your home, snap a picture if you can and send it to us. I'd love to see what some of our house churches 
are looking like. A couple of people did that last week, and it's appreciated. But uh, so, so they have successfully launched this church, and they are caring for one another. People who are local who have extra, they're selling property that they may not absolutely need. Uh, some are selling houses, and uh, it, it's amazing uh, what the, the lengths that some are going to uh, to take care of one another. Uh, over in chapter 4 of Acts, uh, we see uh, this kind of reiterated by Luke. Uh, in chapter 4, verse 32, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. I'm going to stop there for just a second. I love that sentence. And God's what, church? God's grace. God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. And so they're, they're selling stuff that they don't absolutely have to have. Obviously, not everybody's selling their house. Some people need a place to live. But some of these people, again, had some extra. Maybe they had some land that they decided, you know, I don't absolutely have to have that. And so I can sell that and take the proceeds from it and bring it to the apostles. And so it gives this picture of them selling what they had that they, they could part with, and they were bringing it, putting it at the apostles' feet. So it's what we would might call a general fund. And so they had a general fund there in this new church, and the apostles were the ones who were in charge of that at the time, and then were distributing that to people as they had need. Hey, I'm from far off, and I've run out of everything I brought. The food that I brought, uh, and, and the, the money that I brought to, to, to buy extra food, I'm out of it all. And they said, that's okay. We've got you. And, of course, I know our shepherds today because I, I know in, in sitting for the last almost now, uh, coming up on eight years, sitting in meetings with them, uh, you know, we, we, we talk sometimes about benevolence and how much we're giving in certain situations. And there are times when, when we have requests that go beyond the normal scope of how much we would assist someone. And so uh, it... it you know, we, we can't approve that until we take that to the elders and say, what do you think? You know, this is the information we have. But I know from uh, working with them the last several years that if there is somebody from in our church family that has some kind of financial need, that they are willing to go beyond what we're willing to do for complete strangers. And Scripture supports that. Uh, you know, we see that with the, the scripture reading we had this morning from Galatians 6, uh, that, you know, where, where Paul says, especially those who are among, among the body of believers. 
And so they were taking care of their own. In verse 36 of Acts 4, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So we have specific examples. Now, uh, some have asked at different times, well, is this an example of communal living? Is this, is this what we're supposed to be doing in the church today? Well, this was a very specific time and a specific place, and we don't see this echoed anywhere else in Scripture. And we're going to talk about why really next week as we move forward in the book of Acts. Uh, so to, if, if that question is entered in your mind, is that what we should be doing now? Well, in a way, we do that because we take a portion every week when we gather. Of uh, and, and right now, you have to mail it in, drop it by, uh, do online giving, whatever's working for you. I appreciate that people are still doing it, but that we, we take a portion of what we've been blessed with and we, we put it in, in our general fund is where that goes. And then the elders oversee how all that is distributed. So in a sense, we are doing that. But where the, the point of this message is, is that they are taking care of other people. That they are looking beyond their own interests. And i got to admit as we draw closer to meeting at the building, I've kind of had this attitude. This attitude that says, you know what? To do all the things that we're going to have to do to meet at the building, there's going to be a lot of oddity to it. You know, I've, I've even, I even said to the elders in a meeting a few weeks ago, I said, what if we just keep go doing what we're doing online? until we can come back and worship in the auditorium. And when I replay those words over in my head, what I, what I get a sense of is, I want. Now, how many times do we teach our children when they're young to be careful about how much stuff you want? You know, we teach them, don't be people who go through life wanting everything for yourself that that's not what's responsible. That's not what being a loving human is like. And certainly, when we put on Christ in baptism, that's not being what a loving Christian should be about. And so, uh, I have, I, I've, I've, even walking yesterday, I, uh, yesterday afternoon, Stacy and I went out to the industrial park, and, and I walked a few miles out there, and and uh, turned off the audiobook I was listening to and just thought for a while, thought and prayed. And I even replayed some words that I had recently stated to some people about reopening. And I thought, boy, there was a lot of selfishness there. Because after all, for the last nine weeks, as I mentioned earlier, I've had the benefit of coming to this building every single Sunday morning. Uh, I have not taken... I have not cracked open a single peel and pray yet. Okay, I've been, I've been able to I've been able to do communion the way uh, that we do it, and that's one of the perks of being here in room one fifteen on Sunday mornings. As I get to do, we get to do communion the way we're accustomed to doing communion with trays and cups and everything. And 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 yet, the vast majority of our church family 
have not been able to participate in that. And so I do get it when people come by the church office and they ask that question. And it's a question we get from almost everyone. And the longer we've been doing this, the more frequently we get it. How much longer do you think it'll be? And so, uh, and one of our elders even stated in our meeting, says, well, says as soon as we can, you know, we need to get back to worshiping at the building. And so when I set my want and my selfishness aside, because there, there are some people that, that have heavy hearts about not being able to gather at the building, not being able to see each other. And even if we have to sit a few feet farther apart, and uh, yeah, I'm talking to you, those people that sit in the back right corner as I face the audience, okay? <laughs> Packed in there like sardines, and there's a whole lot of love in that group, and that's great. But, but yeah, you are going to have to space out once we come back to the building for a bit. But when we, when we, when we set aside our own viewpoint of how things should be and consider others, then it allows us to do things for other people. It allows us to make what we might consider to be sacrifices. And so uh, I, we see this played out in a, a story that I read this week. This actually was reported uh, in the Washington Post some months ago. It was certainly before the pandemic broke out and, and traveling by air was considered uh, much safer than some might consider it right now. But it's the story of Dustin and Karen Moore. And they were on a Southwest flight and with a, a newborn baby. And they, uh, they hit the call button to ring for the flight attendant uh, to come and help them uh, with their child. And uh, they actually had to change a diaper on, uh, on an infant child and they were new parents, and they had not done this before. And the reason they hadn't done this before, eight days in, is because they had adopted this child. And so flight attendant Jenny uh, answers the call and helps them with the child and, uh, and then asks, you know, hey, what's the, if you don't mind my asking, what's the occasion uh, for uh, flying with, with such a small baby? Because... I mean, eight days old, man. They're they're little. They're they're tiny at that point. I mean, they're they're tiny. Uh, and and <laughs> okay, I'm just trying to say they're tiny. Okay, they're they're little. And so, I hope you at home thought it was as funny as the audience here did. Sorry. But, uh, so she asked him, you know, what's going on, uh, you know, what, what's the occasion for flying with such uh, a small child? And then they explained that we just adopted, this is our first child, and we adopted this child. And so then she springs into action. She uh, notifies Bobby, oh, another flight attendant in that flight crew on that particular flight. And of course, this doesn't surprise me, as someone who has flown at least about eight different airlines, uh, and when I was with the oil company... Uh, I thought about it last night, and, and I flew uh, literally uh, seven or eight different airlines in a matter of about four years. But most of our flights were on Southwest because they have so many slots out of Nashville. And there is a different culture when you fly Southwest 
as opposed to a lot of other carriers. And uh, people are treated differently. And so this doesn't surprise me on this particular airline. But what Jenny and Bobby then concoct is kind of this impromptu sort of baby shower. Because Bobby gets on the, the intercom and Jenny comes back and asks a few more questions and, and the Moors are, are kind of confused at this point. And, and then, uh, so Bobby then gets on the intercom and says, hey everybody, you know, we've got a special guest on this flight. And then he explains, we've got a newborn baby coming home. <laughs> this, this kind of warms my heart. Coming home with their parents for the first time, uh, newly adopted. And so the flight breaks out into applause. And then Bobby says, hey, we're going to be coming through the cabin and passing out pens and napkins. And we want you to write down on the napkin any words of encouragement, any words of advice that you have for these first-time parents. Now see, that's the kind of kindness, that's the kind of impromptu, get out of bed this morning, going to go do my job, not anticipating that I'm going to arrange sort of a little baby shower on a flight today or that I'm going to take a flight today and uh, just hope that I get there safely and that uh, you know nobody uh, encroaches on my space if it's a crowded flight. Those are the kind of things we think about that I can get through security okay but then all of a sudden you have an opportunity to participate in someone else's life and an opportunity to touch them in a way. And, you know, we just read that Barnabas, which means son of encouragement there in Acts chapter 4. And now all of these people get to be a Barnabas for a moment because they get to write some words of congratulations or words of advice, words of encouragement to these parents. And, of course, you can imagine what the Moors were thinking because these are people that obviously didn't have a whole lot of experience even changing a diaper. And so now they're, they're in this sense of overwhelmed. You know, what is going on in their life? And uh, when Dustin Moore uh, returned, he, uh, the article that appeared in the Washington Post says that... Uh, he contacted Southwest Airlines and he said for an entire crew of strangers to come together like that, to partake like that, to show us that kind of love and kindness meant everything to us. You see, it's one thing to say we love people, but it's a whole other thing to show it. Some years ago, and it's been decades ago now, I started hearing this term, the hands and feet of Jesus. And when I first heard it, I thought it was kind of a strange term. But it simply means that Jesus is not here in the flesh. And so because of that fact, it's, it requires us to be Jesus in the life of someone else. No, we're not the Messiah, we're not the Christ, we're not the Son of God. But we can love and serve in a way that people get to experience Jesus. In uh, John chapter 6, we see this scene where Jesus has, has preached on one side of the lake and this is, is the scene uh, where... 
he feeds the 5,000. And we actually discussed that just a few weeks ago. But he feeds the multitude. And, uh, and then after, after that is finished, uh, then they end up going across the lake. The disciples get in boats and then start going across the lake. No one sees Jesus get in the boat, but this is where Jesus walks on water. And so then, then the people, you know, the next day are wondering, well, now wait, did anybody see Jesus get in the boat? And everybody's like, no, we never saw him get in a boat. Well, then he must be here somewhere. And then some guys arrive from across the lake in Tiberias and they, they, make, they come to that side of the lake and they're like, hey, uh, you know, did you see Jesus? And they said, well, yeah, he's on the other side. And so the crowd then goes to the other side of the lake. They start getting in boats. They go across the lake, and then they go and find Jesus. And then so they, they come and they say, Rabbi, when did you get here? And I'm in John chapter 6, verse 26. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. So Jesus is essentially telling them here, you're looking for me not because of things that you saw me do, but you're looking for me because of what you experienced. In other words, because you ate the loaves and had your fill. They knew there was no food, and then all of a sudden now there's food. And they ate that food, and they were full. And we know from reading that scripture that there was lots of food left over. They had lots of baskets of food remaining from what started out as just five loaves and two fish. And so Jesus is saying, you're looking for me, not because of what you've seen, but because of what you have experienced. And so church family, it is to us to help people experience Jesus. That is what befalls us today. That's the challenge that's before us. How can we, this coming week, how can we, going forward, how can we help people to experience Jesus? That's what we should be about. When when they gathered at the temple courts and, and, and praised God together. And then money was distributed and food was distributed and people went back into homes. See, in that instance, they were experiencing Jesus. How can we help people in the days ahead to not just hear about Jesus, but to experience Jesus? We are very good at answering the call. And when I say we, I'm now talking about not just the whole and Church of Christ, but Christians in general. We're very good at answering the call when it's something big. When it's a tornado. When it's a flood. Uh, when someone's house is burned. We're very good at answering the call when it's something big. At rallying temporarily at a given time for a given group of people, making sacrifices uh, you know, to send money or to, to help people out in whatever way they need. What we probably all 
need to get a little better at, at least most of us, is being better at seeing people's needs in the day-to-day. Because in the day-to-day, we call it a grind, uh, because it often feels like a grind. And so in, in the day-to-day course of life, we, it's easy to be thinking about ourselves. It's easy to be thinking about what we need to do. And, and so we need to be people who are better day by day at seeing the needs around us and helping people to experience Jesus. May God bless you in the days ahead.